Alright everybody, welcome into Hacked History. We are back with another episode. Yes, yes, we are not done making podcasts. We didn't listen to the YouTube and Twitter haters because we don't use those platforms. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> anyway, um, we are back. Um, and we're also, this episode is going to be dedicated to the fitness gram pacer test. <laughs> the fitness gram pacer test. <laughs> the, the test will begin with this sound. <laughs> oh god, that just uh, that killed my ears. Oh my god. Anyway, um, we it are gets back... faster with each tone. Yeah, shut up. We are back with an actual episode on the second part of the Bay of Pig. Uh, the third part. Wow, Trace. I am batting a thousand already. You are. You part are part three. Part three, Jake. Part three. Um, if you have not already, please follow us on Instagram and like our Facebook page to stay updated with our posts. I do try to find some interesting pics to throw out there for rewarding you for just giving a shit. So um, if you have any questions or anything like that, feel free to send, any, send them in to our email, which is hackedhistory101 at gmail.com. Um, I don't believe we have any questions yet. I'll definitely check that out. Um, and if you have anything that you want, you know, if you have any episode suggestions, you know, shout us out. We will uh, take a look at doing some of those potentially. Um, for everything else, you know, please go ahead and give us ratings. Um, we appreciate those. Uh, the higher, the better. But honestly, if you give us bad ratings, uh, we will take your feedback into to consideration. We appreciate any sort of feedback about the show. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. Jake, what do we got? Yeah. Oh, and uh, we did want to do this at the beginning of the episode. And we might say it at the end, depending on how much time we have. Um, so we're we're abreast of things going on in the world right now, and we want to shout out to the bigger listener base that we usually have in India right now, which is not having the best time, which is a fucking yeah. understatement. Um, and we 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 hear you. Um, we hope that things get better soon. We're sending our love and support um over to you guys um and i know it doesn't really mean shit but that's pretty much all we can do right now so just know that we hear you and we care about you and that that goes for everybody in the world too not just in india um we know things are still kind of rough right now so just know that uh you know we hear you and uh god bless basically you know um or whatever you believe in they bless you you know hopefully so yep yeah you know because we're social studies majors that uh we fucking know what we're talking about and we're actually sincere about it. Anyway, um, <laughs> that sounded bad. It's it, but <clears throat> not as bad as we hear you, which is also a statement that's gonna not ever be the same again after well, here's the president. The thing. It doesn't really matter that we did that, but we just hopefully you take some sort of, I don't know, something good out of that. We we really at we the very really least feel bad if but. you're a listener in America, you know. And you are not, you know, financially strapped at this point, which you might be. And, hey, you know, priorities have to be priorities. Do try and find any kind of, I would say, charity. I'm not sure what they can do right now. Uh, well, I know Red Cross and uh, UNICEF and things like that are okay. always good to... So those are to. good areas to start with. I'm Like um, I said, we, because it's still in, in its COVID, it's not like it's a hurricane or a typhoon. You can't just send shit, you know, because right. it just makes it worse, unfortunately. <laughs> But, yeah, so just just be aware that, uh, you know, we, we understand kind of the political climate going on out there. And if, if us mentioning it and did anything, you know, positive for you, um, you know, that's uh, what our goal is. But anyway, yeah. um, let's and, get back to the entertainment, shall we? Yeah. So, back to our regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> so, this is part three. Now, we're going to be focusing on one thing and one thing only in part three. And that is the CIA. Boom, 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 boom. Are you like a are you like a murder documentary on Netflix? What the fuck was nah, that? That was supposed to be from the um, a song title I can't really say, um, but it's something in Paris by uh, Mr. Kanye West and Jay Z. Oh, cheeseburgers in paradise. No. <laughs> anyway, who are you? <laughs> Good question. I don't know. So yeah, so this is primarily going to be a CIA slash you know kind of the start of the CIA looking to overthrow Castro. The world is kind of spanning 59 to 60 here. We are going back a little bit. And so our discussions here are, are very necessary. So hang on. Yeah, First of all, let's just kind of do a recap on where oh, we left yeah, good off. Point. Good um, point. Where did we leave off after part two? Uh, so part two where we left off basically was that, uh, if you remember and listen to the episode, Pedro Diaz Lance, um, who has the biggest balls of any man ever, uh, escaped Cuba. The most biggest balls in the world. Yes. <laughs> You're dragging them like Josh Allen on the field. Um, but what happened basically was that Pedro is not a fan of Castro. Pedro went to America. Uh, as far as we know, he was basically either recruited 
or in some version, he may have taken some of this upon himself, and basically flew back over Cuba, oddly enough, in the middle of a convention where the Americans were trying to be friendly with Cuba after a lot of fan and shit that we had been doing, uh, and dropped a bunch of pamphlets. And then through sheer panic and terror, uh, <laughs> the anti-aircraft guns in Havana ended up killing, like, two civilians and wounding dozens more, and then they blamed it on us. And uh, then Castro was angry, naturally, um, uh, primarily because he should be angry that his own anti-aircraft squads don't know how to fucking fire. Um, and that's kind of where it brings us, is Cuba does not like us, and yep, they're starting to drift way more to communism than they were in the beginning. So, anyway. Um, that leads us up to looking at the CIA in general, because if we're talking Bay of Pigs, we cannot brush over that as semi-boring as it might get at times. So we're going to try to make this as lively as possible. The but... CIA! <laughs> and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so the origins in our early history of this nascent Central Intelligence Agency, like that word, ironically fit the rise of Castro's Cuba in a lot of ways. So, by 1959, no, we started in 1959 at a bigger scale here. The CIA, having been just in existence for roughly 12 years at this point, is still trying to figure itself out because, you know, it's just, it's a new department. It took over from the OSS, which is the Office of <clears throat> sorry, Strategic Services. Os. Yeah, boss. <laughs> the O's. And, um... Yeah, you know, when they're not when they're not recruiting Nazis to build rockets for us and, you know, giving Japanese war criminals an, an okay to fucking, you know, <laughs> give us their research, uh, you know, they're doing other things like knitting and um, teletyping. And, they're, and it's so cute. They crocheted all these beautiful blankets for the... Native... <laughs> for the guns to sit out. I, I don't know. <laughs> we probably... Well, what we've done right here is we've crocheted a number of blankets that we are going to give to the <laughs> insurrectionists that are going to kill the president of Congo. <laughs> cool. What? <laughs> Who are you how people? Much, how much budget? How much American budget money are you fuckers getting again? Uh, billions. <laughs> I don't. Too, too much. That's too the answer. Too yeah. much. And so the CIA, you know, is still trying to get its footing and exactly how, at a global scale, it's trying to do things. And so at this point. Uh, previous interventions that they've been working on in Latin America had chiefly been the 1954 overthrow of Guatemalan President Jacobo. I think it's Jacobo, or it could be Jacobo, depending. Arbenz. Arbenz. That was probably the worst pronunciation of a name I've ever heard. I don't fucking know. (laughs) I mean, let's ask Bing how to say it. Yeah, let's ask Bing. Well, you know, Bing probably would know. Better than me. No, I don't know about that. It's Bing, well, it's Bing we're talking I about. I shit you not. I shit you not. It's literally. I think it's Jacobo Arbenz. I, I think that's how his first name is. All right. Um, okay. That's regardless of that fucking snafu that Lucas is <laughs> trying to keep us locked to here for the next five and a half minutes. It was kind of an easy coup, all things considered. Uh, pretty much because the agency had a pretty good understanding of how to go about regime change at this point. So. It may have been one of the first ones in Central America, but they had some experience already. So, looking and considering this, in 1959, we are looking at how the CIA attempts to get rid of Castro, their motivations and justifications, those individuals in charge, and their personalities, because that is a huge player in this. Because we will meet some people who really should not be fucking doing this. And they're kind of incompetent. Um, and then finally, we're kind of talking about, like, creations of committees and stuff like that. You know, we're talking, like, brigades, stuff like that. Kind of kind of like boots on the ground at that point, because that's also okay, kind of necessary. if you start lifting off alphabetic committees, and we have to remember those, because I don't know oh, how no, else no, to... Oh, no, we're not. We're okay. not. We're not. There's only one. There's only one. But... Okay, if, it's it, a, it's a, if this becomes an alphabet soup thing where we're just talking about, like... Shut it new, down. New we're done. New programs, like... Well, that's we have. How the, you, we have that's the, how you know this podcast is just about to end. A B C A. We got the A D D M. Here's our. Never... <laughs> here's our special. Oh, oh, let me our... tell you about the acronyms in numerical order. Woo! Here's our special forty-part episode about the acronyms of the New Deal. Agencies. God no. God no. Even I. I. I can stand the drier shit in history, but even that, I can't. I can't fucking do it. Well, and um, 
just want to be clear that I'm not saying that I wouldn't like to talk about new deal agencies. But we're not but doing if, that, so we're not. No, but we, we will talk about that eventually, but I don't want to spend episodes just talking about what the acronyms were and why that was important. That's we're what the not. Was. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was <laughs> just fucking Christ. That was amazing. Yep. So, anyway, uh, CIA did begin a legitimate sort of move to getting rid of Castro in the winter of 1959, and it fits kind of like this. So the original misconception, and we're thinking of like the CIA here, was that before, like when Castro went to America, when we first started talking about that and him going through, and we kind of were talking about like sort of the fact that you had a kind of out-of-the-blue character with a not really clear political viewpoint yet, was somewhat socialist, but wasn't, and then kind of started becoming more communist. The CIA, from the beginning of this whole thing, actually did not take charge in pushing Eisenhower to authorize any of their activities. In fact, the first fucking American department was the State Department. I, I That usually is not a sentence I would use. The State Department, huh? Yeah. The State Department basically was saying, like, hey, he needs to go. And so, CIA was kind of like, we're just going to hang tight and see how it works. So just um, just to yeah. put small breaks on it, I think we should just briefly, for especially you know people who might not know, explain what the State Department and the CIA do and why they're different, because this can get kind of confusing okay. yeah, if we fair. don't uh, outline so it. So you want to take that one or no? Uh, well, the, the CIA is more of a... So they're an intelligence agency, obviously, because they're the yeah. central intelligence agency. Um, but what their aspect is, is it's basically around the world, they sometimes implant spies and they gather a bunch of intelligence on different countries and different things going on in those countries, basically to essentially try to make sure that the U.S. is prepared um, for any foreign threats or um, basically just foreign operations that we need to know about. Yeah. Whereas the State Department is not an intelligence gathering agency, they are sort of a uh, diplomatic institution that's meant to help us with our relations with those other countries. Um, so they both kind of fill different operations within the foreign government system, um, where between like with the U.S.'s relations with the foreign governments, because the CIA doesn't really do much like, hey, how's it going? It's more like, let's infiltrate it when we need yeah, to they're get very, information. They're very sort of shady. And whereas the yeah. State Department is very much like, how can you maintain good relations with these companies? So they both fit different aspects of what the U.S. policy to foreign nations is. Yeah. So, yeah, and basically if we could even compress it more into a nutshell, CIA is more like your, you know, your... The CIA gathers it's your, intelligence. It's your spies, and the State Department is the human face, basically. Like, this is our representative. It's ambassadors and stuff like that. Also, there have been some really bonkers ambassadors in the oh, history God, of America. Yes. Uh, Fuck I, yes. I feel like we should almost do a special episode at some point just talking about people who have had ambassadorships. Yeah, people who shouldn't have, wild. but That did. is wild. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, it's, it's nuts. So, yeah, anyway. Uh, the State Department, like I said, they had, I guess seen and threw up some red flags first and they were actually really pushing because if you remember from the previous uh, episode we put up the the first actual intervention intervention was from the state department that when cuba was trying to buy jets from britain they were like ah no shut that down and the britons were like all right the britons you mean the, the british britons. people yes <laughs> fucking get on my level the britons the britons and yeah and basically like decided to fuck around <laughs> with them getting, you know, Air Force stuff, which wasn't the best. But, yeah, as things went on, at Castro's public perceptions in America started becoming a little bit clearer. The CIA started, you know, jumping more into the idea that, yeah, he might be a communist. But it, they were actually kind of begrudging. Like, so, <laughs> just the, the way you said that... It's kind of like that old Jeff Fox where they joke, like, he might, you might be a redneck. Like, you might the be CIA a communist. Like, you might be a communist. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, I mean, and just as a good example of, like, how they felt about him, like, right off the bat. Like, so there's a CIA deputy director. His name is General Charles Cable. Yes, Cable. Yes. That's, <laughs> he's tough as steel. Um, he testified to Congress at a point 
1959 that basically even though there was communist influence in cuba and it was going up you know they were like yeah that, that's happening he was affirming that castro as an individual was not a communist which i don't know if that doesn't make me feel any better <laughs> like if you're like <laughs> is there communism there well yes and it's increasing but castro's not uh, you know yeah it's so really yeah, it's chill yeah <laughs> Yeah, Cable's assertions at that point were backed up by, like, internal memos from the CIA, actually, which was called, something called a Related Mission Directive, which is always fucking astounding, um, stated that any CIA operations in Latin America should understand that, quote, the revolutionary government is basically non-communist with legitimate reform goals that deserve U.S. respect and support. Yeah, like, that's <laughs> them right on the nose, is basically saying, like, you know, just leave it be. Yeah, I, again, I don't know how, in like, Again, it's up to individual opinion because you still have a lot of really fucking weird people. But that's kind of starting to change. So at the timeline part here, we're going to just pause it real quick. Okay. No, 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 not literally. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm okay, not, good. I was, I'm not going <laughs> to. I heard movement and I'm like, don't. And we kind of have to look now at the person leading the CIA at this point. So by the winter of 1959 into like, the winter of 1960, we have a guy, and I, I turned this particular section, the men who stare at Fidel's. <laughs> there you go. And you're going to make a, a movie reference that nobody knows. It, yes, it's about MK <laughs> Ultra. Fucking what? <laughs> so yeah, anyway, uh, the person we're going to focus on, again, this is probably where it's going to not be the most exciting, but... What's his name? Tell me his name! Robert Bissell. Bissell. Yes. He sounds like is that he sounds like the vacuum, like the Bissell. I, I genuinely had a thought that he may have had a hand in that company. Robert Bissell of the Bissell Vacuum Empire. Yeah. No, so <laughs> he is the CIA. Really yeah. sucking up all the fucking corruption. Uh, all the fucking pinko commie <laughs> bastards. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Oh no. <laughs> so yeah, he, he was the CIA's deputy director of plans. And in a nutshell, that position. And I probably will bring it up a little bit later, like in hey, hey, more detail. So, deputy director of plans. Yes, is so a, it, it doesn't sound to to dumb it down. Is he basically just the one who comes up with all their schemes? Like, how, what does it mean to have that position? Like, I was gonna say, yeah. So he he does basically he it's a, he does have control over the sub agencies and the planning that they do and all the operations that they do. And that is a fairly big job. Like, well, it sounds like it's just boring as fuck, but it really point, isn't. It's useful to remember that the CIA is nothing if not one big marble bastion of bureaucracy. Pretty so much. So, essentially, you have all these, like... And a lot just, of high society pricks just everywhere. <laughs> and if you think about all the people that truly he would be in charge of in a, in a situation like that, it is fucking massive. Like... Oh, yeah, no. Like, the, the fact, like... That. Anything that gets okayed, like any like anything, yeah, and has he, to go he has a him. lot of money and power and people under his control. So I'd imagine at that point he's got to be like what, like second or third in command or something like that. Like he's oh, got to yeah. be very close to being the top. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, he he is one of these people too. And the fact why we even bring him up because like I'm trying to focus just on the key player in this. I'm one. calling him Doctor Vacuum, by the way. The rest <laughs> of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> write it down write it down right now <laughs> but yeah so robert so i was just either gonna go with robert or bissell i think i'm just gonna go with bissell for this one bissell's good yeah, yeah. bissell's he's gonna be synonymous with bay of pigs because this is gonna be his brainchild pretty much so he okay so are you saying that we finally got to the point where we're gonna start talking about the operation yeah we're gonna <laughs> start about the beginnings of the operation. it only took us to part three ladies and gentlemen but we're gonna start talking hey, man, about how bay of shit up to this okay we can't just go <laughs> in and say yeah cia's time to say fuck it listen the band drop in with some freedom shit we're actually gonna start to explain why it happened fantastic <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I told you it's a, it's a climb. I warned you. What it's did I warn? I fucking <laughs> warned you. Miley Cyrus anyway, song, the moving climb. on. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Bissell made his first appearance in Washington D.C. Or when? Sorry, when he made his first appearance in Washington D.C., he was considered a brilliant individual because he was again very very smart. You had to be to do this job, and he had a deep problem solving intellect with good connections, and basically that meant he knew people who could get him places. So, Jim Rassenberger 
is in the book, or he's the author of the book that I've been using sort of as my base research and then everything else branching off Jim of Rassenberger. Jim Rassenberger. <laughs> That's a phenomenal Jim name, Rassen- by the way. Jim Rassenberger! <laughs> That's one for the Ben soundboard. Anyway. Um, oh, my God. So, uh, Bissell lived in Hartford, Connecticut when he was always born and grew up there. He grew up in the home. Born in the USA. Thank you. <laughs> he was. He actually lived in Mark Twain's old house. He did not. He did, yeah. That is amazing. Absolutely did. Um, I just, yeah, that shows you he probably had a less than normal upbringing. <laughs> not in a bad way, but in like, like in. Did he automatically just want to write books with a bunch of words he shouldn't say? <laughs> um, he definitely may have. God. I, maybe. <laughs> But yeah, he lived in Hartford, Connecticut at Mark Twain's home, and he basically a physical description of Bissell to give you sort of a mental image is that he's a physically awkward young man with crossed eyes who considered fun... Oh my god. Re- and the, the crossed eyes was uh, later corrected by surgery, by the way, who was considering the things that were fun as reading and memorizing railroad timetables. I mean, he... Fuck he's, yeah! He's an absolute Woo! delight, Mr. Bissell. Oh my god. Like, he's set for this job. Uh, his idea of a good time was inventing a vacuum. <laughs> his good time, dude, like for real. Let's just take a minute, a, a hot moment, and literally say his consideration of fun was reading timetables for railroads. <laughs> the uh, train timetables, memorizing timetables, too. Something is wrong. The uh, <laughs> Y'all needed porn or video games way earlier than so you usually this, did. This reminds me of... Um, there's a there's a line from uh, the other guys where where Will Ferrell's character is talking about how at, like at age 13 he audited his parents and he's like believe me there were some discrepancies oh fucking <laughs> like, yeah absolutely that is this guy that is this guy in reality he would do some shit like that yeah I know and, and he is it's kind of weird because as a young child because I mean his grandfather was a railroad like president. I don't remember specifically what line. It probably doesn't matter. He's not trying to be Vanderbilt. Yeah, pretty much. He was trying to be a Vanderbilt. Uh, intellectually, of course, Bissell enjoyed adventure and challenge. Um, so that was often courting physical danger alongside that. So or I guess intellectually, like, he looked for challenge. So, like, if he had a problem, you know, timetables, for instance, you like, like, how many of these fucking boring documents can I remember how without many, having to look at them? How many documents can I look at? And memorize exactly this is this guy is the definition of someone who would just piss anybody off like yeah he's the he's the tech guy at like the fucking whatever who would be like uh oh yeah you know i just you know sometimes i like to do coding for fun you know and it's like cool do you do anything with the coding no no basically <laughs> what the fuck I, is the I, point I, I like to theorize how to build something and i don't even build it i just i i think the exercise is useful <laughs> it's like what <laughs> yeah i know Okay, I, I think we're, and just so everybody knows, we're not shitting on being a nerd. Like, there's just a whole other level you can go to that's just completely unhealthy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it's then it like seriously just pulls away from everything else. But also, you know, if you like that, you know, if you like our show, then uh, you know, you're, you're chill. Yeah. You know, yeah. we we appreciate you. Yeah. So anyway, okay, cool. Doctor Vacuum. Let's Doctor Vacuum makes a comeback. Um, no, so he he was a lot more like physically active too when he started getting into like the upper grades and into early college so a good example of this was that he used to go jumping across the roofs at yale in the middle of the night what they, like the dorms like, yes just they had like slanted roofs and he would just jump this from guy is dr vacuum he's like a fucking superhero oh, a weird much. one but yeah at, at one point in time too he was climbing a cliff or something i think without rope and he fell in like fucking dislocated his collarbone dude and that's w- what we call an origin story and then went back again and like did it without falling you know so that's pretty badass all right but i also want to just say that too like and this might be some kind of foreshadowing here but when you have a guy like this that's so confident himself in like the numbers and things like that yeah. that he memorizes i can definitely see how this is going to lead to him feeling like whatever plan he comes with is damn near infallible and oh, yeah. even if there are things that are that should have convinced him that it was not he's going to believe that they're still infallible so i can see exactly <laughs> where this is going to go <laughs> it makes me think of like fucking um like uh robert mcnamara and his crowd like we can solve vietnam and just so you know we're why gonna, we're, we're gonna after we get done with this series um and uh after, we're, after this we're gonna do the cuban missile crisis missile crisis the missile crisis but after that we're gonna get to a vietnam series and i'm actually gonna spearhead to give jake a small break here small um, and um we're gonna get to t- 
talking about the strategy and the home front and the protests and all that good stuff. But I guess what I, what I wanted to say is, um, and this is going to be one of the overarching patterns of just history just in general, is you're going to have someone who thinks they're too hot for corrections and won't take any fucking yeah and won't take advice from anybody and you're gonna find out that a lot of the calamities and major fuck-ups that happen in history are all gonna just be by people who could have stopped it but basically had their head too far up their ass to take any advice oh yeah because once you're in a position of power and you get the first like series of well i mean for mcnamara's case you know when you get cuban missile crisis right you know yeah, your ego's pretty fucking big. <laughs> that like, makes sense, you know? <laughs> All of a sudden, you're like, what about these rice farmers and the trees? What What do you mean we can't bomb them all? What? Morale, what the doesn't, fuck? morale doesn't mean anything. Who cares about morale? What, like, what do you mean getting pot-shotted at not knowing who the enemy we're is? We're going to bomb them Committing in war crimes on the daily to try to keep yourself alive, yeah. So, uh, anyway, back back to what we were talking about, though. Um, he was a risk-taker, naturally. Um yeah. And again, that will probably play in because he takes a lot of fucking risks with a lot of stupid people. Um, yeah, yes, he does. His, his enrollment at Yale was a testament to his intelligence, and he was able to possess a lot of these social sort of circle contacts what, what made him able to go in. Was he the type of guy that would be like in the Skull and Bones fraternity and Actually, shit like that? Actually, no, he passed that up. He passed that up? Well, yeah, because it wasn't his scene. Which I honestly. How is that not his scene? <laughs> Primarily because paddling young men in a dark room may not be his thing. I just... This Moving guy, on, This anyway. guy checks all the boxes. How is he not into it? Oh, uh, you know, actually, that might be the one saving grace for me as I'm sitting here like, oh, good, you weren't at least in some really weird fucking thing. Um, uh, that we know of. You yeah. know, he definitely... He's oh, the probably. type of guy that probably kept a couple secrets. So. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. He kept a number of secrets. Yeah. <laughs> he, was the direct, he was the fucking director of plans for the CIA. Exactly. Yeah. So it, those social circles that gave him contact with a lot of powerful and important people, a lot of politicians, which is always good because you have a whole class of fucking politicians coming out of Yale here. And was those people went on to do political position jobs, he was able to kind of springboard himself into Washington. It's like, like hey circle. guys, remember me? Yeah. yeah. I like to do tables with numbers and jump off ropes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm Dr. Vacuum. <laughs> I'm Dr. Vacuum. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So uh, this is during the, you know, 30s and 40s, or early 40s. Yep. Um, so when World War II kicks in, Bissell enlists for work in, get this, the War Shipping Administration. No. I yeah. Mean, could you have a more boring, bland and paper and pen job but than it that? it is very important. And see, again, oh, no, no, it, you're seeing it coordinating, this early on. Coordinating shipping and things like that is... Especially a in a war deal. effort, if, if you don't have guns and supplies, you're not going to be able to do anything. We'd all be living Wolfenstein 2 right now, you know? Yeah, that's that would not be good. No, it would not be good. And so, yeah, I mean, it fit his analytic styles to a T, and he was really good at it because basically, you know, we're talking about somebody who's almost aggressively into fucking really boring stuff. At this point, I would say he's he is aggressively into really boring Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think we can say, like, you know, he might be. No, he is. Like, he's, he's committed oh, at yeah, this point. Sure. He's into for that. Sure. So, yeah, around 1947 when the war was done and everybody was moving on with their lives, uh, Bissell was recruited to work for William Avril Harriman, who was then the United States Secretary of Commerce. Um. And, again, like, the Secretary of Commerce, he deals with shipping and stuff like that. You know, like, overseas trade, too, and also in inside the U.S. borders trade stuff. Yep. And they wanted him to head a committee lobbying... Lobbying? Fuck me. Lobbying lobbying, for lobbles. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> who were, he basically was going to be running the committee lobbying for Europe's economic recovery plan, and that would be the Marshall Plan. <laughs> so he was lobbying... Oh, he was marshalling... Fuck. He was lobbying... <laughs> He was marshalling the marshal for the marshal marshal for the marshal plan. <laughs> no, he was lobbying. Marshal. He, he was leading the group that was lobbying the marshal plan in Europe. And okay, so Jake, no, no, let's stop for a second. Yeah, and so we'll talk just about Just as what a reminder, is. what is the marshal plan? So uh, so at the end of World War II, uh, Europe is, um, what what would I say? A shithole. Um, <laughs> it is that. It is. Come on. I mean, it, we, yeah. know, we only like raised like two-thirds of every German city, you know. <laughs> Um, but the problem was that you have a lot of countries that are seriously having like a hard time trying to pull themselves out of that destruction, get it rebuilt, 
And now that because the communists are your enemies and they currently own half of Europe, <laughs> Germany, yep. you know, oftentimes this is what we like to call uh, kind of soft power approach. So, I think this isn't coined and, yet, but I'll explain what this means. Basically, uh, the U.S.'s intention with the Marshall Plan was if we provide you funds and, you know, help to rebuild, then, you know, as you guys get your economy rolling again, we'll be chill. That was basically their intention. And the thing to remember here is this is very classic 50s and 60s anti-communism fear tactic shit yeah. because what we basically capitalism out, with Jesus <laughs> yeah, out, outside of the outside of the obvious financial need and the effort to support the allies what it really was was a fear-driven thing because if we don't support these people in some people's minds the thought process is they're going to turn to communism if you know, there's going to be those options to turn to communism. We're just going to have more and more communist yeah. enemies. So basically the thought was if we just shower these people with money and food, uh, they'll still stay on our side. And with that, you start to have things like um, – Like the Berlin Airlift. Like NATO and the, yeah. And yeah. the, and the, war, and the reverse Warsaw Pact shit that we yeah. kind of talked about before. So yeah, um, and, and it, it all kind of feeds into – and that's – why I just want to say that because you can kind of get lost in all of this specific. So it's crucial to kind of remember that all of this is part of the same Cold War bullshit yep. that we're going to be constantly hammering on. So. Yep, yep. Shaking babies and kissing hands, the whole thing. That um, way, hold up now. That's North Korea's way of dealing with it. Uh, anyway. Is that trickle down politics? Not really. <laughs> Dick trickle down politics? Um. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, and that was their intention was like, hey, if we provide you with all of. Yeah, so all the good shit that they wanted, but basically through that money and food and, you know, and rebuilding shit that you were going to be able to kind of quiet down the communist cells that were in the Western European countries because they were yeah. there. And it goes back to that soft power thing where yeah. it basically you're reinforcing what is the status quo in those countries to prevent any sort of what you think might be, you know, any chance that those countries could turn communist. Yeah. And and you could honestly look at a more modern context. It's like China's like road road and belt policy that they're working on right now. Like in Nicaragua, I mean, and this is just from personal experience. Nicaragua yeah. is that uh, in in Nicaragua in particular, where I know I know a lot of people who personally come from there. They talk about how like when they were building this canal through this this the country to connect it, kind of like a smaller Panama Canal that Russia and China pitched in to help them build it. And basically what they gave them in exchange was that then they would basically let Russia, you know, park some weapons. <laughs> just, you know. But let, let a couple of our missiles just chill here. Well, not even missiles, mostly like bombers and helicopters, but nothing nuclear based. Okay, so, I gotcha. Yeah. No, I mean, and to be honest, I mean, they were providing them with the shit. So that makes sense. Uh, but regardless of that, he is working on a massive recovery plan so again his analytics is just kicking into high gear he is just he is fucking snapping pussy left and right but <laughs> he's uh, just out there snapping it snapping. yeah for sure um, abyssal was basically acting as an ambassador for the plan in germany during that time and eventually abyssal would lead the whole economic cooperation administration <laughs> coordinating funding for those projects so there's a lot of shit going on right now He's got. He's a busy boy. He's a busy fucking boy. I'm kind of. I'm kind of proud of that because that, that's a guy who you almost don't see that sort of work ethic nowadays. See, um, he, unfortunately, backfires. This man, this man had fun in, in in his early life by writing down and memorizing tables of train times. Oh, dude, he has to have like constantly. He has no he has off be, switch. He has to be constantly erect this entire time. He sees numbers and he's just about to nut. And it just keeps going. And I don't know. He had the messiest desk at the next <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fucking crap. <laughs> just the four cleaning ladies got to come in. Oh, Jesus. God, <laughs> fucking somebody showed him an Excel spreadsheet. It was expense. Which one of you did it? <laughs> it was expense report day again, wasn't it? <laughs> it was expense report. That, that's what he calls his special me time. Um, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he worked in the ECA. Um and then from 1948 to 1949, Bissell and his now wife that he had, um, they moved to D.C. because If this man can find a wife, anybody can. That's all I'm yes. saying. <laughs> well, also, he's very he's very rich and powerful. <laughs> so, yeah, that probably had something going for him. Um, but wait, that... wait, wait. Are you trying to imply that Mrs. No, I'm Mrs. not saying Bissell... in that regard. But <laughs> he's definitely going to be better than the dude working at the fucking 7-Eleven, you know. 
He's got more prospects, you know Listen, what I mean? Cletus with the three teeth left working at the 7-Eleven. He's working very hard as he well. He is. And shout out to Cletus, who's listening to this podcast and learning every day on the work, on the job. Shout out, Cletus. See, Cletus, I'm as stupid as everybody else. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, <laughs> and what, what's most important here is the fact that him going to Washington from 48 to 49 basically was putting him in shoulder-rubbing range of a lot of the most politically elite people oh, in the United States. Oh, he also enjoyed rubbing shoulders. Oh, for sure. Oh, oh yeah. He loved jumping from roofs, climbing up rocks, looking at timetables, and rubbing people's shoulders. He's basically a sentient raccoon this match. <laughs> He's a sentient raccoon. <laughs> that's, a, that's a statement that I never thought I'd heard you say. <laughs> but, yeah, he... Um, like, just an example in this quote-unquote Georgetown set, that that's what they called him, was like... G-Town! Yep, G-Town! <laughs> was, I mean, you had Ben Bradley from the Washington Post, who we talked about in the Watergate episode, who he was like the... Ex- I think he was the executive editor, I think. I, I it, it escapes me. But uh, we had Frank Wisner, who was the CIA's founder and power player in Washington, which is always good. And Dean Ackeson, who was the fucking Secretary of State for, I think, Eisenhower... I believe that was the administration he acted under. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's big people. It's not like he's in there with the fucking, like, transportation secretary for, like, the upper Manhattan area. He's dealing with, like, big people. Listen, Shirley Rodriguez does a great job in that role. And if you... <laughs> um, But, yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing. It's, two. you're dealing with a lot of people <clears throat> in this Georgetown set who, more or less, are going to be some of the most powerful men, both of Kennedy and Eisenhower's administrations. So... Bissell has now that perfect opportunity to get his name in the right circles if he wants to get a job. Social stuff means everything. Uh, any politician will tell you that. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's it's not even just in that field. I can't tell you how many jobs that I have been, you know, I'm not someone who is from a situation where I get jobs just because of my name. But if you know people who know people and you do a good job and you get good resumes, sometimes you'll get a job just from having those references versus somebody else that they don't know. And that's not saying that that's right or wrong, but that's just a reality for a lot of job opportunities. Not even just in like, yeah, in these higher, you know, atmospheres and stuff like that. It's just a reality. And that's just in like the regular job market. Yeah. I mean, and you could save it like this. If you're a teacher, which is, you know, what I am, uh, that in all reality, that is basically how it works. You need to have contacts almost. And it's it's somewhat unfair because I think a lot of good teachers do end up going like off into the wayside waiting for that opportunity to get those contacts and it never fucking happens. Well, and you could look at me like that's yeah. semi kind of where I'm at. You know, that's why I'm not teaching right now. Yeah. Um, so. So, yeah. Um. On top of that, you have a lot of other people in George in the Georgetown set were like OSS veterans, you know. That was basically the precursor to the CIA. So that was World War II CIA. Those are people who also got their finger in the pie of a lot of fucking Washington shit and outside of Washington shit too. And this was certainly driving him to enroll in the CIA a little bit later here. So moving to that transition, he starts working for them. Now, originally Bissell was working for the Ford Foundation – from 49 to, I'd say, I think 50. I wrote it down, but I want to make sure. I, I could be kind of bouncing here. But he got approached by a man named Frank Wisner, who persuaded him to join the CIA. And Frank Wisner basically was, I think, leading it at the time. That is some capacity of leadership in the CIA at the higher well, up level. He definitely had the opportunity to offer him a job. Yeah, so absolutely. That- so he was a big guy in that. But... His pension for analytics and technology, Bissell, was put on as an operations leader for none other than the U2 design and development project, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's just, I love it too. We can be boring, boring, boring. Wait, the, what the fuck? He invented a time machine? How did this fucking happen? It's like that. Yeah, I'm, as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh shit, what? So yeah, um, just a little bit of it, like, to talk about that, the U2 thing really did get him, like, on the map. Because, so wait, wait, that's, yeah. what is a U2 for me that doesn't know what that is? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So U2, or the pro, the project named U2, I bumped the mic, um, was basically a high-altitude spy plane that we started working with in the early, it was not in the early 50s, in the late 50s, so that we could kind of figure out how the Soviets were doing things beyond their borders, because as you know, Russia's a big-ass fucking country with a lot of ground, and um, we kind of wanted to know where they were at with missile capacity and bomber capacity. So the U-2 was basically this giant airplane, which, uh, believe it or not, almost had the same frailty as fucking balsa wood, <laughs> as I later found out. 
Um, but it could high, it could fly up at altitudes that were way above their like air, any or interception range. So what that means, like missiles and radar and shit. And uh, basically, and the need for this is because the Russians would not be very thrilled if we were just flying over their airspace yeah. to try to to try to get intel. Funny how that shit <laughs> works, you know. Yeah, and so the idea too was to provide like the most powerful and clear camera you could put on an aircraft. And basically, this thing was like the best culmination they came up with, and not in a bad way. Like it's it's a massive airplane. Like Google it if you have a second. Pause it. Google it. It is a big ass plane, <laughs> but it is it is a it was pretty fucking successful. Well, so, and uh, I mean that type of an innovation is part of the reason that, like, uh, just like the commercial plane industries and stuff like that started come, being able to do some of the things yeah. that they did. Like, uh, you know, that 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 spawned a lot of things. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because, like I said, he worked for the Ford Foundation, and so I mean, a lot of these guys worked in industry before the CIA recruited them, and they were like, "Oh yeah, you worked for like assembly line shit. Get on here and help us build missiles." Like yeah. it's like that. So. This project, specifically Bissell and a CIA officer, his name was Herbert Miller. We don't really know him much after this. They chose Homey Airport, um, designation KXTA, for those of you wait, airport wait. nerds out there. Homey Airport? Homey Airport. Are you, are you researching? No, I'm just... Okay. Cause uh, you're going you're gonna to be surprised as to what the actual name of this bitch is. Oh, God, what is it? <laughs> was their primary testing location for the U-2, and this was in 1955. Homey Airport is Area 51. That is the that is the Air Force designation. Damn. That is well, that's where they test most of the airplanes. That's where that they makes sense, the U yeah. two, the B two, all of the stealth bombers came out of there. So, as a sort and then of the aliens in the basement. Oh, sure, for sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and all the Nazis, you know, in the time machine and Hitler's brain and all the good, all the good shit. Um, but yeah, so as a sort of testament to Bissell's abilities and intellect, he was able to complete the U two project far exceeding what the expectations that the Air Force originally set for themselves. So just to give you a context, what he was able to accomplish and why it was kind of fucking impressive, his the Air Force's original estimates for the U-2 project put development at no more than six years for completion. And Bissell was able to showcase the completed U-2 in just under 20 months and $3 million under budget. The thing is, this is the type of guy that uh, finds efficiencies for efficiencies. Oh, yeah. Like, he gets... Like, he, he's really definitely a micromanager. That. That's what I'm thinking he is. Yeah, 100%. He is he is that boss that you would have at a like a job who's like, "Hey, guess what? You're working 0.26 seconds slower. I need you to speed it up, Gregory. I don't give a fuck if you're tired. We've got a deadline to meet." This is the type of boss you don't want. This is McDonald's. <laughs> so yeah. Oh my god. So the fact That's why I was so triggered. <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking PTSD moment. You can hear the choppers showing up. Um you can't get me, Ronald! <laughs> you can't get me, Ronald! He's in the trees! He's in the trees! They're call- in the trees! We gotta calm you down with a wave. The arches! <laughs> we gotta call... <laughs> Jesus, I'm sorry. <laughs> I see the gold notches in my sleep, man. <laughs> anyway, I'm done making fun of veterans, I guess. I, not what we wanted to do, we were but making, here... We were, we're not making fun of veterans. We're making fun of people who used to work at fast food restaurants. Oh, you're that, right, uh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway slow your roll so yeah so between 55 and 56 there was estimated that approximately 90 percent of any and all photographic intelligence on the ussr like the soviet union proper even like russia was coming out of the youtube project because they like i said they put the most important like powerful camera like you could see say like the number of cars in a moscow street like that was how good they were from like i guess thirteen thousand to higher uh, Which is, in the air. and you gotta think about this, this is late 50s, um, so that's really fucking impressive. And they like, haven't even mastered the television yet, like, yeah, <laughs> like, that's impressive, yeah, and so, um, as a result, the Eisenhower administration knew, and now, I'm sorry, they now had, I read my own na- note wrong, now had a readily, you're okay there, bud, yeah, I'm good, <laughs> now had readily available information that Khrushchev was expanding the number of available bombers and missiles, that he was saying they had, basically debunking the fact that there was any kind of bomber gap or missile gap. So, where the Russians are basically saying, like, we've got more missiles and more bombers than you, so don't even fuck with us. Basically, they found out that was bullshit. So, yeah, that put America at an advantage. Or that at least told you that the Russians weren't as capable as they were saying. Now, I guess we could kind of go into a real simple thing right there. So... Lucas, I'm going to ask you a basic question. I want you to answer it for me. What's that, buddy? Why didn't they tell the Russians that they were bullshitting them? 
Because that'd be an obvious tactical mistake, because if the Russians knew that they knew... If the, if the Russians... <laughs> You're getting there. Good. If the Russians knew that the U.S. knew that their tactics uh, were bullshit, then the Russians might actually have to up their production. Yeah, and it, it's also a bit of a diplomatic fuckaroo if uh, just by chance you say, oh, yeah, we found out you don't have any missiles. How did you figure that out? No, you know, I just guessed. You know, oh, yeah, like, it's, it's gonna look that, really at sketchy. that point, you're giving away the game. Yeah, pretty at much. that point, they know you have to have some sort of plane or yeah. some shit because there's no, other ways, no other way you can do it unless there's a spy, but that's... Well, and that's basically saying that you have a new aircraft. Yeah, like, And the much. Russians now like, oh, you got a high-altitude aircraft? Let's fucking start making one now. And that in, they were pretty good at actually getting American technology through spies. Yeah, and to be honest, the atom bomb project was a good example yeah, of that. Exactly, like the Rosenbergs and shit. Yeah. So Rosenbergs, H bomb, Sugar Ray. <laughs> All right. So basically, Rand of the King and Dagon. We, we've established it'd be really stupid for the U.S. to tell them. So yeah, they, it would be. They didn't tell stupid. them. So they didn't tell them. Yeah. Uh, but as what's funny about this was that the Russians knew, and the Americans knew, the Russians knew, and the Russians knew that the Americans knew that the Russians knew. And nobody said anything. <laughs> so the Russians knew that the Americans had this technology. Moving on. <laughs> Sorry. I was afraid this was going to like get into a really weird No, no, no. So <laughs> I'm saying, so the Russians knew that the Americans knew that basically they, that they were yeah. bullshitting. Basically, they mutually knew each side was bullshitting. Yep. Yeah. And they were like, we're just going to let this sit. Basically, I have like a friend of yours farts in an elevator and no one says anything. Basically like that. <laughs> you, yep. don't wanna, you don't want to bring it up because as the natural rule of smelling it and delting it, goes into effect people would be like did you do it no i didn't well that's then, what a guy and, who did do it would say and then you're to blame and you know no yeah one man i didn't want to do that yeah. shit because oh. your friend's slightly overweight than you and it makes it look bad anyway <laughs> so yeah so 1956 that's just mean Jake. yeah <laughs> i didn't mean you fuck all right so in 1956 <laughs> around that time with the success of u2 kind yep. of blowing up his reputation and his ego at this point bissell initiated and oversaw what was called project rainbow uh, which was development of a radar camouflage. And he hired two leprechauns, pretty right? much one for each side of the rainbow. Yeah, pretty much. Can you taste? <laughs> and the and the guy who invented Skittles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> taste the rainbow. So basically, what Rainbow's intentions was were sorry was to develop sort of a radar camouflage for aircraft. Sure. So you know what ends up being that is yeah, like the B two bomber project starts from there. Um, uh, it was albeit unsuccessful in the long run, at least in this iteration. Abyssal took what he learned about Rainbow and initiated Project Gusto, continuing the development of that and project. And now, the more that you know. Yeah, the more that you know. And uh, just, again, a fun little fact, like a little tangent, so it's not all just like, oh, yeah, it's life. No, no, no. But basically, Gusto continued after Bissell left to focus on the Bay of Pigs operation. Gusto later evolved into Project Oxcart. Mm -hmm. With the same game in it. Not, the names changed and nothing really. Project Oxcart. Yeah, I know. They're really great names. Under which the CIA developed and operated what was effectively the Lockheed A-12, which became a precursor to the SR-71 Blackbird. So if you are an airplane uh, nerd, you would be just fucking blowing a load right now. Uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty. He uh, Just to say this much, he's had his hand in probably the most important fucking projects of like intelligence gathering that I've ever fucking seen. <laughs> So he's Dr. Vacuum. He is Dr. Vacuum. <laughs> Fucking genius here. Uh, so yeah, anyway. Uh, Mr. Dr. Profe Mr. Professor Do Vacuum. <laughs> Watch it. And so so Bissell's successes brought a lot of popular attention, naturally, by the fucking truckload and promotion as replacement to Frank Wisner as Deputy Director of Plans sometime in 1958. That's what it was. So Wisner was the, the original Director of Plans. Um, just a... Hmm, Wisner just a mm. Wisner suffered a mental breakdown that resulted in from manic depression. So this is this is what happened to Wisner, by the way. This is a where are they now segment. Um in regard or basically they treated his fucking manic depression with electroshock therapy. Oh god, no. And then in regards to the position Bissell took, the director yeah, controlled half of the operation. So that was sort of just my making sure that we kind of touched that. Or yep. touched on that. I gotcha. Yeah, touched it. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, uh, so taking position for that, well, Worcester's position at least, arguably made him probably the most important individual in the agency, overseeing about 50 CIA stations around the world and hundreds of active operators. So, yeah, pretty, pretty fucking important. Yep. Power and responsibility also gave Bissell a necessary avenue to the president and the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which is good, to voice the CIA's opinion on global affairs and a lot of the influencing of the president's decisions. You know how it is. Um... That comes to bite him in the ass a little bit later, but, you know, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Bissell 
stepped into that new role on January 1st of 1959. Right there. Damn. Yeah, like I said, it was a little bit of a backtrack, but, you know, we're, we're kind of back up to speed again. The same day Castro became Cuba's de facto head of government. So, again, it's almost as if they're running together. It's a really bizarre... Yeah, it's kind of like a weird fucking, like, parallel story here now, because now much. Castro has the power, and now Bissell also has the power on the CIA side. They have the power! <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that it, it's very bizarre, because you'll see a lot of these, like, strange little coincidences... And shit that just show up. And it's like, cool. It happens a lot in history. What the it's fuck? Really, it's really strange. It is really strange. And, uh, yeah. That's, so, that's where we're going to, right now, uh, just give her a rest. And then right, we'll everybody. pick back so, up with engaging in covert actions. <laughs> that sounds sexual. Anyway, it's not going to be. Um, <laughs> night moves. <laughs> night moves. Anyway, we're Operation gonna, night moves. We're going to talk about that and much more on in part four. Um, we're going to actually, obviously, you know, now, guys, we're actually at the point where we're going to start talking about the actual Bay of Pigs. I know. It only took us three full episodes to get there. Stop shitting on it, man. But I tried my best. we are there, and Jake's getting upset, so that means we're about to end. I'm cranky, um, and you're tired. <laughs> so we appreciate Let's it. call the whole thing off, okay? <laughs> That's a song. Let's call the whole thing off. Anyway, right. um, so if anybody would like to leave us a rating after this, we appreciate that. Um, as I said earlier in the episode, please give us a follow on Instagram and please go ahead and like our Facebook page to stay updated. Uh, we appreciate that as well. If you have any questions, please send us an email at hatchhistory101 at gmail.com. Uh, Jake, any final words? Uh, like I said, again, just back to the thing in India. Make sure if you guys want to donate, you can ideally go to UNICEF and Red Cross. Those are the first two ones to go to. But, uh, yeah, other than that, that, that's my thing. Yeah, and uh, it doesn't – I just want to reiterate, too, that uh, it's not just specifically India. But oh, I mean, yeah, we, but, I mean, as know. of now, they're currently in a yeah. worse situation. That's kind of yeah. why – and, you know, like I said, there's a lot of listeners, and we want to make sure we – we uh, don't want you guys to know we give a shit about you because yes. otherwise we would not be doing this if people – we'd just be talking to ourselves. Yeah, we love you all, and we thank you for listening to our bantering, and, yeah, yeah. so thank you. And we'll catch you soon, and much sooner than the last time. Adios. Yeah.